How many of you guys need tips on parenting? Tell the truth. How many parents in here would just say, Tim, I've got this parenting piece totally figured out. My tassels turned. Everything is perfect. Any, anybody in that boat? Oh, look at you, Robin. Robin had three kids. No, I know your oldest son. He's no longer with us. He's with the, he's with the Lord right now. Right? Mama Kay, who was the biggest baby in the house? Julian was the biggest baby in the house. I, I know. I saw the way that thing went down. Barb, who's the biggest baby in the house? I am. But I'm a responsible baby. This is going to be a fun day. We're going to have fun. So if you grab your bulletin, please open it up. I'm going to pray. And I want to get rolling into this. I think this is uh, some effective, powerful stuff for all of us, no matter what your age is, no matter where you're at in the journey. I think these tips on successful parenting will help us all. So let's pray. Father, open up our hearts and our minds to you. As Krista said, the truth. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we come desiring to embrace you. And uh, get knowledge and wisdom and insight and understanding. Lord, uh, help us now as we, uh, as we move into this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend Jeff, we were talking not long ago, and he made this observation. Jeff's got two daughters, and uh, he made this observation to me about parenting that I thought was kind of intriguing. And he said this to his daughter who was in her young 20s. He said, I desire to see you fail. I desire to see you fail. Because if you're not failing, you're not pushing yourself to find the borders of what you're capable of doing. I thought that is a great insight. If you're not failing at times, you're not pushing yourself beyond the borders of what you're able to do. You're comfortable. You you may be living a life of status quo. And I'm like, no, I want you to be the best that you can be. Here's what I think for all of us, if we get gut level honest, our deepest desire as parents is not to see our kids be wealthy or even famous, but our greatest desire for our kids is to see them embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, master, and ruler of their lives and to become useful for the kingdom. When I look at the five kids that God has blessed Barb and I with, it's like, what do you want? 3 John verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my kids are walking in the truth. I mean, really, what we want is to see them walking authentically, passionately with Jesus Christ in truth. That's what we want. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, blessed are those who delight in the Lord. Blessed are those who delight in doing what the Lord commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. Now, we define success as having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. True success is the wisdom and understanding of God that allows us to live life in such a way that brings glory and adoration to Him. So, parenting, 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 let me say this to you, it starts with us. Effective parenting starts with you. As an individual, it starts with that spouse, that husband, that wife. It starts with me. It starts with Barb and our family. 
If I want to see Psalm 112 uh, come alive, that blessed are those who delight in doing what the Lord commands, their children will be successful, it implies that I've got to be doing what the Lord commands. I want to give you five simple principles, and I want to jog through those with you this morning. Number one, be an example. Model what's right. As a parent, be an example. Model what's right before your kids. Develop a passionate relationship with God. We talked last week about the key to marriage is both people coming together, husband and wife, under the lordship and leadership, submitting and surrendering to Christ as Lord. And when that happens, the closer to Christ you're walking, the closer to each other you're going to be. Same thing in parenting. It is absolutely crucial. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Here, here, Israel, listen. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Moses was God's voice piece, uh, mouthpiece, if you will, speaking to the nation of Israel, life coaching the nation of Israel, leading the nation of Israel to honor God. He goes, God is one. Then he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus adds strength to it when you see his statement in Matthew uh, as well as in Luke. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Under the law, he says, love God with everything you've got, with your heart, with your soul, with your might. Love him. Love God. Pursue God. Respond to his pursuit. Then he says this, these words... These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. He didn't say they should be in a book that you pick up occasionally. He said, these words I'm commanding you, put them on your heart. Let them sink deep inside your soul, your psyche, who you are. You shall teach these words that I'm commanding you diligently to your sons. Teach them. Listen to what he says. Teach them to your sons, to your daughters. You shall talk of them when you sit down in the house. You shall talk of them when you rise up and walk by the way, when you lie down, wherever you're at. You shall bind them as a sign sign on your hand. There shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. You shall write them on the gates. My words should be foundational for everything you're doing. Now, again, we concluded that the person who says, I don't need God's word, I don't need God's wisdom, has become a narcissist of reasoning by saying, I trust my wisdom to be more important or more valued than God's. If I don't know God's word, it is my problem. If I don't pursue God's word, it is my problem. If I don't pursue God, it is my problem. I can't blame anybody else for it. Now, here's the thing. You will never pass on to your children what you don't possess yourself. If I'm going to pass on the word of God, the statutes of God, the ordinances of God, the testimonies of the Lord, guess what I have to do? I've got to possess them. As I possess, then I can pass. The overflow of who I am will be shared with my family. Now, it starts with you taking personal responsibility, being an example, and doing what's right yourself. If you forfeit that and ignore it, then you're opening up Pandora's box for a lot of chaos in your home. God has given us everything we need for parenting in this book right here. 
when you start to meditate on it and saturate your minds with it, I will tell you this. The greatest book ever on parenting is the Bible. The greatest book on marriage is the Bible. The greatest book on finances is the Bible. So if you want to have a strong marriage, you got to build it on God's blueprint. If you want to have a strong and productive uh, parenting uh, the two of you coming together to be able to shepherd those kids, you're going to have to make the Word of God your standard. The Word is absolutely crucial. So many parents that I see today raise their kids based on tradition or just based on maybe how they were raised. I'm not saying your parents did a terrible job, but a lot of, a lot of us were not raised in godly environments. A lot of us were not raised with a blueprint of God's design being the foundation. A lot of parents are guessing. A lot of parents are diving on the internet trying to find a couple of quick little lean cuisine meals to pass on. It's not working. It's got to take root in our heart. Come on, everybody with me on this. So if I'm going to be effective, I've got to realize the word of God's got to be my standard. Here's another thing. You've got to realize that a strong marriage adds stability to your, uh, to your child's life. Do you know that it is very, very difficult to raise kids when you're living a godly life? It is almost impossible to raise kids when you've got a shaky marriage. It is hard for all of us. All of us that are parents, we can testify that you can try to do everything you know to do, but it doesn't foolproof some of those that you're raising. There's kids that we encounter, they've just got strong will, bent will, wicked will, evil will. And you look and you go, man, this is going to require a lot of work. But I can't imagine trying to parent out of a shaky marriage. I can't imagine what that would look like if the, the husband and wife are not on the same page. Could you imagine that? 25 years plus in marriage, I'm like, Barb, I don't know what it would look like if we were not honoring God. So here, here would be the point. Strengthen and solidify your marriage daily. Strengthen and solidify your marriage daily. Now, if you're a single parent, if you're a single parent, I want to I encourage you with something. I know that it can be difficult as a single parent, especially when the other spouse was abusive, adultery, abandonment, whatever happened. L- listen to me. I know some of y'all come out of some chaotic ruins, but the one thing you can give your kid is a godly lifestyle where you set the example. You can't change the other person. You can't fix the other person, but you can become all that God wants you to be. And one of the things in the process that you can do in becoming the person God wants you to be is that you can refuse to belittle or slander the other spouse that's no longer there. When you start to belittle and slander the other spouse that's gone, you're, you're not helping those kids with a blueprint of what health looks like. Now, I don't know it from experience. I don't know that from, other, uh, from my own personal experience. But I know in working with other people that have taken the high road, they've never, never regretted that. I got a phone call this week from a buddy of mine who pastors in North Atlanta. And this one girl showed up with her new husband. And my buddy who's pastoring this large church said, they want to meet with me. What's going on in their story? I said, I can tell you from my buddy 
who was married to that girl, he's never slandered her and he's never dogged her. And I can tell you that he's been praying for her and this new dude she's married to because his kids still have affiliation with this new dude. And I said, so I am pumped. And so it just happened when I hung up from that call, my buddy called me and I said, it's funny that you call me. Let me tell you what's up. And he goes, that's good. I am so glad they're going to church. I am so glad they're seeking out truth. You know what that said? I've taken the high road and you know it and you've walked with me through it. And it's been hard at times, but I refuse to slander. Now, if you're a single parent, if we can help you, our Arise ministry, our Bloom, anything that we've got going on, anything we can do to help you walk through that season where you're at, we want to help you. We want to help you with everything we've got. We want to pray for you, and we'll do anything we can to encourage you in your journey. Is that, is that cool? Now, listen to this. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We've talked about this. Fear God. Proper reverence toward God. Embracing God for who he is is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. How many of you know that every day we need wisdom from God. If I'm going to be an example to my kids, I've got to press into the Lord every day. I can't press into him for 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. This can't just be a place that I hang out and just get just enough to do me through the lunch hour. I've got to be pressing into him every day. So as I set an example, here's what I realized, even as a parent with kids. Fools despise wisdom and fools despise discipline. How many of your kids appreciate discipline? Very few. But what I know is if I do not exercise discipline in parenting, I'm creating a fool. I'm fueling the life of a fool. There is a two-letter word in the English vocabulary that's one of the most anointed words in the English language. It is the word no. Did you hear me? You've got to be able to say, no, it's not happening because I care more about your growth and your maturation than I do the thrill of the moment that you're wanting to have. We live in a world where we have to learn to say no. If we're going to be the example and live a life of responsibility as parents, we have to say no. We have to say no to the lust of the eyes, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We have to say no. And if I don't model that, I can't pass that on to my kids. Now, as I think about being an example, I wrote some things down. When it comes to being a, an example, do I manifest and do I model availability? Am I available? Do we make ourselves available for other people? Am I believable? Does my word carry weight? Do I say what I mean and do I follow through with what I'm saying? Makes sense. There, there's so many people that they'll, they'll, they'll tell you something, but they're not believable. See, uh, the word see here would be contentment for me. Do I live a life of contentment? Am I constantly having to have more? Am I constantly trying to satisfy my fleshly desires with more? If I don't model contentment, I can't encourage my kids to live a life of contentment with what they've got right now. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content. Here's another C word, courage. Do I live a life of courage? 
Do I show up every day and have a courageous heart? As I said last week, we grow up, we get up, we show up, we know what's up in the house, or am I living that out? Compassion. Do they see compassion leak out of my life, out of their mom's life? Discernment. Who are they going to go to when they get to that fork in the road trying to discern what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong? Do I live a life of discernment? Have I shown that I'm a discerning person? Do they see forgiveness being modeled? Oh, you want to talk about a powerful video? I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it, that Monty Williams, the head coach or the assistant coach with the Oklahoma City Thunder, please watch the video that he spoke at his wife's memorial service this past week. He gave the eulogy at his wife's funeral where she was hit and killed. They've got five kids. And he stood there. He stood there and said, my wife, I know where she's at. My wife loved Jesus. We built our entire marriage on the truth of God's word. Both of us are Christ followers. Hanging in his house, he said, we've got Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Brother quoted scripture after scripture. But he said this. He said, the person that ran in and hit my wife and killed her, he said, I want you to know we forgive them. They didn't wake up that morning trying to kill my wife. Their intent was not to hurt my wife. There was an accident that happened. And he said, as the man of my house and our kids, we extend forgiveness to that family because they need prayer just as much as we do. Do you forgive? Do you harbor bitterness? Are you resentful? Do you condemn? Do you slander? I'm telling you, you got to model this stuff. The agape of Christ allows me to forgive. Uh, Generosity. That's another great thing we model. If you're not generous, do you think you can encourage your kids to be generous? No, I want to read through them, but honesty, humility, joyfulness, kindness, love, obedience, patience, persistence, self-control, wisdom, persistence. Do you stay with something? You throw the towel in and quit. What are you modeling? Jesus didn't quit. He's the high priest. He's our great example. What am I modeling? I've got to model what I seek to mandate. I can only pass on what I possess. Two, extend unconditional love. Proverbs 4, my children, listen to your father's instruction. Pay close attention and grow wise. I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my teaching. Take my words to heart. I love you. I'm for you. I want the best for you. Follow my instructions and you will live. Uh, live. Learn to be wise. Develop good judgment. Don't turn away. Don't forget my words. Stay with them. Stay with them. Stay with them. Here's what I know. Here's what I know about uh, authentic love. True love is not giving somebody what they want. It's giving them what they need. D- d- did you hear me? What do they need? I mean, if we've got oxygen and water and we've got clothing and shelter... Paul writes to Timothy and says, you ought to be content with what you've got. But when we've got this need to always have more and we're always living out of discontent and dissatisfaction, we can create a monster if we're not careful. Again, as we looked at the story Nick introduced me to uh, a couple of years ago, and I was watching it this week, that the kid who was supposedly struggling with affluenza was brought back before the courts And uh, they're like, we think we're going to try him as an adult this time. Well, he should have been tried as an adult the first time. And if you didn't deal with him, you should have dealt with his parents the first time. It's jacked up. 
It's, it's jacked up when we empower, we enable. We live in a culture of entitlement. God goes, I want you to extend unconditional love, but I'm not asking you to endorse the insanity of their behavior. Personally, before I came to faith in Christ, I lived really lost. Anybody live lost? I lived really lost. And I had a lot of those late nights that I would drive home and I would say that prayer you prayed. If you let me get home tonight, I promise y'all I'll never drink again. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Yeah, that, 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 I, I don't know exactly if that one got out of the car or not, but it was maybe my own guilt just trying to eliminate the consequences of my stupidity. But I remember my mom, multiple nights, she would sit there with me. And that one night where she sat on the porch for three or four hours as I just was hammered. She didn't, she didn't applaud my behavior, but she extended love to me. She gave me what I needed. I needed love. I didn't need shame. I didn't need to be beat up with how crazy I was. I was crazy. But she gave me love. And that stuck with me. Even now at 53, I can look back going, when I was 20, 21, whenever that, those nights would happen, I'm like, that was a game changer for me. My mom to this day, 74 years old, has never had a drop of alcohol. Okay, she drank a little NyQuil, but she's never had any wine, beer, or anything in her life. My mom to this day never has. But you know what? She didn't shame me for where I was. She extended love to me on where I was. That changed my heart. There's parents that I meet right now and say, I can't even look at my kid. They're such an idiot, I can't even look at them. And I know some of them are living like hell right now, and it's hard to look at them. But here's what I know about extending unconditional love. doesn't mean that I don't take away certain things, and it doesn't mean uh, that there's not boundaries and parameters. I'll get to that. But what it means is I look at them, I can say, God loves you unconditionally, and so do I. You're made in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't love you based on performance and behavior. God loves you based on the shed blood of his son. And when we're able to start to walk that out with our kids and go, I love you. Now you're better than that. You're better than that. And so oftentimes, so many parents focus on conduct and not character. And part of effective parenting is getting into the heart to say, we've got to develop character inside this person right here. God loves me unconditionally. I can extend unconditional love without empowering or endorsing your behavior. Three, I can be an encourager. I can be an encourager. My child, Proverbs 3.21, don't lose sight of good planning and insight. Hang on to them. They will fill your life and bring you honor with respect. Don't lose, don't, don't lose sight of it. They will keep you safe. They will help you as you do life. One of the things I think is crucial, not only in parenting, but in doing life is You've got to learn how to bless your children and bless other children. When I bless you, what I'm saying is I'm speaking a blessing that attaches high value to where I see God leading you in regards to destiny and direction. I'm going to speak a word of blessing. Here's where God has you. Here's where God's leading you. And I want you to know that I am committed to seeing that come about in your life as I walk with you into, your, in, in, into your, your destiny and design that God's given for you. Don't you want to see that happen with your kids? I don't care if it's fame. I don't care if it's wealth. I want to see you be all you can be underneath the leadership and lordship of Christ. Now, there's a difference between praise and encouragement. This is important. Praise 
It's when you bless or say, I'm proud of you for what you do. It's all conduct driven. But encouragement is when I say, I'm proud of you because of who you are. Now, there's a lot of them raising hell out there right now that are living the life of a prodigal. And you go, I'm not proud of what they're doing, but they're my offspring. They're my child. And I'm proud of who they are, even though they're struggling and making a lot of terrible choices. Being able to come alongside and bless people and encourage them, stop it. Stop the insanity. Do you know that we do that with people in this church? There's a lot of people that we counsel with that are struggling. And you know what they need? They need encouragement. They need to know their story matters. They need to know their past doesn't define them, but can be used by God to develop them and making them into the person God desires them to be. Your past is history. The future is a mystery. But what you have right now is the present moment of the now that you can crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice saying, all right, does anybody believe in me? And can I say something to you? God believes in you. God believes in you. Made the observation weeks ago that the next Billy Graham may be in a bar right now getting stinking hammered. But two weeks from now, that dude sitting there drowning his sorrows in his cup may come to radical faith in Christ. In five years, he may be taking the gospel globally to the world. Because my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think or even see in the moment. So I'm not going to write you off. I want to encourage you to become what God wants you to be. Here's another thing. Protect your children. We want to bless our kids, but Barb and I resolved years ago, we want to protect our kids. We live in a culture that is infiltrated right now with humanism, with humanistic style reasoning. This is a postmodern culture. There is so much sexual immorality, ungodly media, There's pedophiles and false teachers and all kinds of stuff out there. Have you noticed? As far as protecting my kids, there's certain things I want you to know. I want to monitor what you watch on TV. That's my remotes. And so, hey, 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 what are you watching on TV? I've got permission to oversee anything that you're doing on the Internet. Barb's got permission to pick up my phone 24-7 and look at my text and my emails, anything. If there's something one-on-one I'm working through, I'll say, Barb, that email right there, I'm working with this guy on an issue right now, leave that one alone. She can look at anything that I've got. Guess what? So can my kids. If we're willing to let our kids see everything that's on our internet, on our TV, and on our cell phone, guess what? I'm going to see what's on yours. And it's not that I don't love you, but I want to protect you. All of these stinking crazy Instagrams and all those kind of things that are out there, some of them are lethal. Some of them are brutal. Some of that social media is taking people down. I mean, let me, let me, let me say this to you as well. Not in a harsh way. But as you are in as, you're living a, as an example before your kids, as you're extending unconditional love, As you're really seeking to be an encourager, let me say this. Don't don't hear me mean. It is not the church's sole responsibility to protect the heart of your kid. It's yours. We want to do everything we can to come alongside you and walk with you. But there's so many parents who will leave churches at times. And they will hold the church hostage for the 75 minutes we get on Sunday. And the 75 minutes we get midweek. Can I tell you something? What are you doing with the other 11,000 hours? 
I'm not joking. What are you doing with all of those other hours and minutes? And so when it comes to our kids going to certain people's houses, if I don't know you and if I don't trust you, you're not going there. If I don't know who you are, hey, we want your kid to come over. I don't know you. Yeah, but you can trust them with me. I don't know that yet. I don't know what kind of playground you've got going on. I don't know what kind of play toys you've got going on. So I want to protect my kids. Here's another way I encourage my kids. I've got to understand what my kids and my child's greatest need is. Don't miss this one. My child's greatest need is the result of their greatest problem. Barb and I, as godly as Barb is, we gave birth to five selfish sinners. Did you hear me? My child's greatest need is a result of their greatest problem. They were born into the world sinners. They were born into the world saying mine. They were born into the world trying to make the world all about them. The greatest gift that I will ever extend to my kids in regards to being an encouraging dad is introducing my kids to an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus Christ that he becomes the Lord, the ruler, and the master of their life. People will say oftentimes, education is their greatest need. Education is a good need. But the greatest need my children have is to walk in an intimate, resolved, surrendered way with Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? That's the most important thing I will ever give them. So as I encourage them, number four, establish healthy boundaries. Establish healthy boundaries. If you haven't read uh, the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend, it's a phenomenal book. Julie and some of our ladies are going through that midweek study right now. But Proverbs 6.23 says, God's commands and his teachings are a lamp and a light. The correction of discipline is the way of life. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries are very important. Now, Robbie Zacharias said, rules without relationship will always promote rebellion. Don't miss that. Rules without relationship will always promote rebellion. So you've got to be relational with your kids. We've got good relationship with our kids. Nobody said perfect, but relationships. So when you give boundaries, what you're saying is these are protections and not preventions. The boundary is here to protect you from shipwrecking, but the boundary is here to promote spiritual maturation and growth in your journey. When God gave Moses the Ten Commands, they were not ten preventions, they were ten protections and there were 10 promotions that would lead the nation of Israel into great intimacy with God. Makes sense. So we're all in need of boundaries. I need boundaries. When I get off the plane tonight, listen to me. When I get off the plane tonight, I've got boundaries in place. I will fly to Phoenix. I will leave to go there at about 550. I will text Barb and say, They're shutting the door. We're about to go wheels up. Every time. When I land, I will send her a text. Just landed. My buddy Cal is flying in at the same time. He's got a rental car. Here's what's going to happen. I'll grab my bag and Cal and I will meet together. Cal is married. Got five kids. Same thing, me and Barb, right? Cal will pick me up and Cal and I will go to the hotel together. 
Cal and I will be accountable while we're out there to each other. Cal and I will get up tomorrow morning, we'll have breakfast, we'll go work out, whatever we're going to do, but we're going to be accountable. Because part of this whole thing and being able to establish boundaries for your kids is having boundaries yourself. I've got to be where I'm supposed to be, I've got to be with who I'm supposed to be with, and I've got to be responsible and accountable where I'm at. And so if I live that and model that, then I can mandate that. But if I don't live that and model that, and if I'm always lying about where I say I am and who I say I'm with, then there's not going to be a lot of trust equity in the marriage, which means it's going to be a shaky marriage, which means I'm not going to be able to mandate that to my kids. Does that make sense? Can I tell you something? People that are born into the world, little sinners, self-centered, arrogant, entitled little sinners need boundaries. I'm going to give you something. We must model it ourselves. Children learn more by what they see than by what we say. What you're doing speaks so loud I can't even hear what you're saying. When you're trying to say one thing but yet you're doing, here's me. Do I live daily a life of responsibility? Do I live with responsibility in my life? We've talked about this. Nick Slade Mike Monroe are on staff. They're my partners here at the Cross Loganville. Do you know what I pay Nick Slade to do? Do you know what I pay Mike to do? Or y'all pay Mike to do and pay Nick. Do you know what they get paid to do? The same thing I do. Sammy, same thing. We get paid to do one thing. Did y'all know that? We get paid to live a responsible life. Nick don't get paid to lead worship and Mike don't get paid to lead worship and preach and do all the media graphics and and children's ministry or whatever. They get paid to be responsible. Be responsible when you sing. Be responsible when you're building a worship team. Be responsible in leading your family. Be responsible in parenting your kids. Be responsible. You have to ask the question, do I live a life of responsibility? If you're not responsible, then you're violating what you're asking your kids to do. Here would be another one. Do I follow through on my commitments? Do I follow through on my commitments? Now, Benji Cash will tell you, when we say be somewhere at 8 o'clock in the morning, we will be there at 7.45, 7.50 in the morning. You'll be there at 7.30 in the morning. He's over there nodding, going, no. Why? You've got to be where you say you're going to be. You've got to follow through on your commitment. If you're always calling and showing up late with an excuse, you know what you're telling me? Your commitment don't mean anything. And you know what you're telling your kids? Your commitment don't mean anything. Is that harsh? It's just reality. Do I have consistent boundaries? Do I pay attention to my diet, my exercise, do my reading time, my prayer time? Do I share my faith with others? Do, do I really live out who I say I am? Here's another, number two on boundaries. Make the boundaries clear and concise. If they don't know what the, the rules are and you haven't communicated, then you can't hold them accountable. I can, I can inspect what I expect if I've communicated what I expect. But it's the same thing in marriage. You can't hold the other person hostage with your expectations when you haven't communicated what they are. My working definition of expectation, it would probably be good to write this down. Expectation is premeditated resentment of the heart. 
Expectation is already premeditating in your heart that you're going to resent the other person for not coming through the way you want them to, even though you didn't communicate what the expectation was. When I tell you this is what's going to happen if you do that, then they know here's what's going to happen if you do that. And part of the quick listening thing is, hey, Caleb, I want you to go out in the yard and I want you to pick up that treasure. This, this is yesterday. Here's a bag. Go pick it up. Okay. Well, let me finish watching my show. Look at me, homie. I said, go pick it up right now. Get everything picked up. We don't count to five in our house. And we don't count to three in our house. We're not struggling with math. <laughs> now I'm going to count to five. No, 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 no. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says that when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled to do wrong. Meaning, the principle is when you delay, you deny. Go pick that up. We're not counting to three. We're not counting to five. Barb and I never did that with our kids. Why? Because I saw it so ineffective. Then after you'd count to five, you'd count to 10, and you'd count to 20. I mean, great, you know how to count, but nothing's happening. You're not parenting. You're promoting rebellion. You're telling them that they don't have to do. My buddy Derek, who's a SWAT officer, we were talking about when all that stuff went down in Ferguson. And I said, Derek, What's the protocol when SWAT shows up? He said, three steps. I said, what is it? He said, I'll ask you, get out of the way. Then I'll tell you to get out of the way. Then I'll make you get out of the way. Derek, how much time elapsed between the ask to the tell to the make? Not much time. Hey, let me ask you to do something. But if you don't do it, I'm going to tell you right now. You follow me? So there has to be boundaries. Make them clear. Make them concise. Three, define what consequences will take place. Consequences must always be age appropriate and offense appropriate. As kids get older, they change. I'm not telling the 17-year-old, you're going to go sit in your room now for an hour and you're going to... No, 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 no. One of the things we understand is increasing the playing field. When they're little, they're staying around home plate. And the older they get, if you get the first to third, the field gets a lot wider. And then by the time they become teenagers and they start to show they're responsible and they're living lives of, of courage, they get to the outfield and the playing field increases. But if you're going to live at our house, you're still going to play according to the rules. And the craziest thing in parenting is when... The 11-year-old looks at the 21-year-old and thinks that what applies to the 21-year-old applies to him. No, 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 homie, that's his curfew. He don't have no curfew. We trust him. Well, why does he get to stay up until 1030 and watch this? I say get your butt in bed now. I ain't got time to reason with you. I'm raising young men, not future lawyers. Eliminate the debate. Here's one of the key things for me in closing, I think is so crucial as we jog through this. This is so crucial for me. Make your home a joyful environment. Make it a place where your family wants to hang out. Proverbs 15 says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. Better is a little with a fear of the Lord than great treasure with a bunch of trouble. 
The, the, the one thing I think Barb has done such an effective job at over the years is that home is a joyful place. It's like the first time you came home from college and you were getting ready to pull into the driveway and bam, here comes the big white F-150 pickup truck. And I'm like, our boy's home. But he opens that door and he's like, yes, she was making that favorite meal. And then as he starts to walk through the house, we, we do need to have a taco bar because I think you've got about 48 candles fired up at any given time. <laughs> If there's anybody that has more candles in their house than Barb, but it smells good. And Benji is like, yes, it smells like home. We had some boys over last Sunday, guys that go to this church, guys that are 17, 18, 19, whatever. And we were sitting there on the couch and Barb was in there and we were just sitting there dialoguing. And these kids, you could tell these young guys were starving for just interaction and they started soul talking and processing and I had to leave the room, and I came back, and I looked, and I said, I, I got a question for you. I said, do y'all ever do this at home where you sit around and just process and talk out loud and talk through your confusion? And, and both of those two boys that were sitting there said, never. And neither one of their parents come to church and really are that engaged. And I looked at them, and I'm like, they're starving for a joyful environment where they can process their life. Big Antonio, when he first started coming to church here, all right, you can have dinner with us, lunch with us at our house. And we would go home, and I'm like, dude, I'm gassed after two services on Sunday and dealing with so many people. And I grabbed my pillow, and I'm like, I'm laying on the couch taking a nap. I don't care what you do. And Hannah would go get this big old pink sofa pillow thing and bring it in there, you know, one of those kind of cushiony kind of pillow things that you can lean up against. And I remember I, I would roll over. And wake up after a 30-minute nap and laid across the floor, six foot ten, curled up with this little pink pillow sleeping would be Antonio. And I'm like, he likes staying there. But when you create that joyful environment, which you have, so awesome, it makes people want to hang out in it. And, and it lets them know this is a safe place. And man, I smell food. We've I don't even know what our food bill is with how many people we feed. But you know what? It, it, it's an awesome thing when you see those young lives sitting there with a chance to really start to believe that they've got what it takes to be a man or those young girls feel like, man, I'm worth fighting for. This is a great thing. So be an example. You can model it. But you've got to be passionate about your pursuit of Christ and responding to his love. Extend, uh, I'm telling you, extend love. Understand that agape is so important. The one thing we can do, we can love you. Again, I don't know what your story is, but as you come in here, your story matters. I can encourage you. I can encourage you in your journey because God wants to do something with you. Another thing, you know, another thing in parenting, we can have boundaries, and I'm not going to let you violate me. I'm not going to let you violate me, but you can start to establish healthy boundaries that will protect you as you do life. And you can create that kind of environment where you want to go. This is our living room here at the cross. And we're so glad you came in to our living room this morning to worship with us and to word with us. This is our living room. And when you come in, we want you to feel like, man, I can be fed there. I can be loved on there. I can be transparent there. I can pray there. I can find hope and healing there. That's what we want to do. Let's pray.